Every day is one step closer to heaven. Amen? All right. Every day is one step closer to heaven. Every day is one step away from this world. Every day is one step closer to heaven. I'm telling you we're headed for the gates of pearl. Now with every day that passes, the question that we ask is, Oh Lord, how long till we can go home? But my friend, before you know it, look up and we'll be going to worship him around the throne. Every day is one step closer to heaven. Every day is one step away from this world. Every day is one step closer to heaven. I'm telling you, we're headed for the gates of pearl. So let's put the past behind us and all that would remind us of things that are just passing away. For the purpose of this life is our living sacrifices to serve the Lord with joy as we say. Every day is one step closer to heaven. Every day is one step away from this world. Every day is one step closer to heaven. I'm telling you we're headed for the gates of pearl. We are pilgrims in this land here, but God will always stand near his children for he's faithful and true. So until the day he calls us, no matter what befalls us, the Lord will keep on trusting in you. Because every day is one step closer to heaven. Every day is one step away from this world. Every day is one step closer to heaven. I'm telling you, we're headed for the gates of pearl. Every day is one step closer to heaven. Every day is one step away from this world. Every day is one step closer to heaven. I'm telling you, we're headed for the gates of pearl. I'm telling you, we're headed for the gates of pearl. I'm telling you, we're headed for the gates of pearl. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Please be seated. Tucson Mountain. Couple of quick announcements. Happy Father's Day. Well, they're working on it. That's all I can tell you. You want to put me on this one? He's on. Now am I on? Can you hear me now? When you're hot, you're hot, okay? And when you're not, you're not. Happy Father's Day, dads. Hey, listen, I'm not going to cover a lot of announcements. You guys got a piece of paper in your hand? Read it, all right? Um, we are planning, there's a couple of questions about this back-to-school blast thing we're planning. We're, we're struggling with a date. Um, we have been gifted a a plethora, and I mean a plethora, of toys and gifts, and we are waiting for the delivery of some school supplies. That we're gonna we're gonna try to do a mini carnival. Uh, we wanted to do it before school started, but it looks like we may have to wait till right after school starts because we it doesn't look like we're gonna get the school supplies till after the fact. So we're, we're working on a date, but we're going to need some volunteers to help with that. We're going to have cotton candy and popcorn. Um, 
we're debating on some other things, but we're going to need some manpower, all right? So be praying about that. And once we have a date nailed down, I'll let you guys know, and we'll see when we put that together. We'll also accept woman power. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you, Craig. Um, and don't forget, there is a uh, movie night coming up on the 23rd at 6.30, and the ladies' women's ministry is, is uh, overseeing that. And if you're a guest with us today, or you have not been here in a while, or if we don't have a current address or phone number or email, fill out one of these cards. There's some these beige ones behind the seat. There's some blue ones behind the seat. Give us the current information so we can keep you on a contact list. If you think you may even be out of touch with us so that you have not been contacted in the last 30 to 45 days, give us the new information so we can stay in contact, okay? Please do that for us. Thank you. All right. Um, our theme this morning is, if you hadn't guessed it yet, heaven. When we all get to heaven, right? And our scripture to remind us of that is John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, when Jesus said, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Amen? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Amen? What a promise and a hope we have. Let's sing together when we all get to heaven. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing his mercy and his grace in the mansions bright and blessed. He'll prepare for us a place when we Serving every day Just one glimpse of Him in glory Will the toils of life repay When we all get to heaven What a day of rejoicing that will be When we all see Jesus We'll sing and shout the victory Streets of gold when 
we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. promised us forgiveness of sin, eternal life, home in heaven, through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. All right. Now, how many of you have heard that you have a mansion over the hilltop? We do. I, I like the King James on that verse because it says, in my father's house are many mansions. And, you know, I, I can't imagine that any little shack in comparison in heaven to what a mansion is down here is not going to compare, right? So God has wonderful, wonderful things in store for us. And, you know, if God builds a house, it's not going to be a shack, right? right. Amen. Let's sing. Mansion over the hilltop. I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. But in that city where the ransom will shine, I want a gold one that's silver. Someday on 
We will never more wander, but walk on streets that are purest gold. Amen. And I tell you what, I could just keep singing these songs all day, but Lynn has to preach, so, and we're looking forward to it. But this is fun, isn't it? All right. Um, we're going to sing a song for you to encourage you of our hope in heaven, glorious day. Notice we've got a new drummer up here too. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. The word became flesh and the light shined among us. His glory revealed, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified. Rising again. 
justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day, glorious day. One day the trumpet will sound Justified freely forever, and one day he's coming. Oh, glorious day! Oh, glorious day! Glorious day! Oh, glorious day! Paul always gives me options of videos on special days, and I told him this one fit best to the message this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for your love and your mercy in our lives. We thank you for the gift of salvation that you give each one of us, you offer each one of us. And Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here today that does not know you as Savior and Lord, that you would just touch their hearts in a special way and draw them to you. And for those of us that do know you as Savior and Lord and our Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the Father that you are. And we pray, Lord, that we would be the 
appropriate children that we need to be of yours. And we ask these things, and we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning once again. We're glad you're here this morning. I want to talk to you this morning, of course, about Father's Day. You know, the father is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home. And what does that specifically involve? What does it look like? What are some of the responsibilities? Well, I believe we can take and look at John 17 and where Jesus is praying in the garden and he's talking to his heavenly father. I think there's some attributes and characteristics that we can glean from this and apply to our own lives as fathers and even grandfathers. So he's in the garden and he's praying and he's reviewing some things. He's reviewing what he did with his apostles. He's reviewing what he did with the disciples. He's reviewing his life because he knows he's going to be crucified. So some of these things we're going to talk about this morning and tie together while they're Jesus talking to the Heavenly Father, I think they can cross over very, very well to our earthly father. So let's delve into this and see what we can think. He basically highlights seven responsibilities that I think we need to pay close attention to. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, whether you're a man or a woman, there's certain roles that we're given to play in our relationship with God, in our relationship with one another. So in John 17, 1 through 4, he says this. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Think about it. He's not talking about going to the cross and dying. He hasn't died yet. He hasn't given himself for our salvation yet. He's not talking about completing the resurrection on Easter morning because that hasn't taken place yet. So what work is he talking about that he has finished? I believe he's talking about the work of being the spiritual leader. He was the spiritual leader that these guys, those apostles of his, for all those three and a half years that he was with them. He was the spiritual leader of the disciples. He was the spiritual leader of even some of the rabbis that came to know him in a personal way and accept him as their savior. So he was the epitome of what a spiritual leader should look like. Dads, if you're here this morning, I want you to understand something. Even though we may not have been the appropriate spiritual leaders we should have been when our children were growing up, it's never too late to be the spiritual leader that you need to be, ever. And ladies, I believe it crosses over to you too, because we need to be the spiritual leaders that God has called us to be. So let's think about this a little bit in greater detail. What was the work that he modeled for us? Number one, Jesus helped those individuals get to know God. We need to help our children get to know God, our grandchildren, all those individuals that we come in contact with, but particularly our children and grandchildren. 
Dads, this is our number one responsibility, is to help your children know God. Their eternal life is in the balance. It is a struggle between spiritual life and death, heaven and hell. And unfortunately, that's our number one responsibility. It's in our hands to make sure that they get introduced to God. Look at verse 6 with me. He says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they obeyed your word. Listen, we don't own our kids. Our kids are given to us as a gift. Our kids are given to us to parent and to watch over. I was reminded yesterday that, well, what about those people that are adopted? I went home and I thought about this, and I looked up some scriptures, and there's over 100 scriptures that talk about if you're not of Jewish descent and you're not from the nation of Israel, guess what? As God's children, we're all adopted. Amen? Listen, he created those children for us to love, but it's just like any other leadership position. We are to be stewards of those kids. We don't own them. God made them. God designed them. He put their genetics and their DNA together before they were even a twinkle in our eye. So we need to think about that. God just loans those kids to us for a period of time. Part of our leadership responsibility is being that good steward and that good manager of what he gives us. The New Century Version says, I showed what you were like to those you gave me. Listen, he doesn't say I lectured them. He doesn't say I preached to them. He doesn't say I gave them a sermon or, or I, I just told them all the time. He said I showed them. It's instrumental that we understand that Jesus led by example. Jesus led by example. We need to, as dads particularly, we need to lead by example. That's probably the scariest thought I can plant in a man's mind today as a dad. And ladies, if you don't understand how scary that is for us, just sit down and talk with a dad and he'll tell you. Here's the deal. Like it or not, your child's idea of who the Heavenly Father is comes directly from how and who you are with your children. It's determined by how you act towards your kids. It's largely determined by the type of father you are. If you're an impatient and demanding father, guess what they're going to think the Heavenly Father is like? Impatient and demanding. If you're distant and detached, guess what they're going to think that the Heavenly Father is like? If you're inconsistent, unreliable, and you consistently break your promises, guess what they're going to think the Heavenly Father's like? Now, dads, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on us today. But we know what we're supposed to do, but sometimes we pull back from it. And we need to remember that part of our responsibility is making sure they know who their Heavenly Father is. And they, they perceive that in their minds by what we do. And how we act. Think about this. Some people, men and women sitting here today, are, are struggling with things 
and they can't really get close to God because they grew up with an unpleasable parent. Some of you here are still under that struggle this morning. And as we talk about these things, like I say, I'm not trying to open up old wounds, but I'm reminding us that there's things that we need to do as adults and as parents and grandparents where we still have influence, okay? When they hear the Lord's Prayer, think about this, our Father who art in heaven. If they hear that prayer when they're little and they've got an unpleasable parent, they're going to think, well, wait a minute, maybe I really don't want a heavenly father. They're like my father. So they stop and they resist. They're hesitant. So we need to think about that, dads. The fact that I could possibly keep my children from knowing their heavenly father in the right way because of the way I act or don't act just breaks my heart sometimes. But it's the truth. Many children can't perceive what it would be like to have a good spiritual heavenly father because they don't have a good spiritual earthly father. And that's a sad state of fact. Think about this. A good spiritual heavenly father, we need to base our characteristics on what God's characteristics are. What are God's characteristics like? What is he, what is he really like to us? Well, let's think about this. He's unconditionally loving. He's compassionate. He's caring. He's close. He's available. He's easily accessible. He's not distant. He's not far away. He's consistent, and he's confident, and he's always, always cares and loves us. That's how we need to treat our kids and our grandkids. We need to be available. We need to always remember that. As a father, I show them what the Heavenly Father is like by my lifestyle, by my actions and my attitudes. Here's something else, dads. Think about this. We actually show the love of our Heavenly Father by the way we love our wives, by the way we treat our wives, by the way we are concerned and care for our wives. That is a real demonstrative model to those young men that need that. We need to pay attention to that. Look at verse 26 with me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Listen, if they never get to know God because of the way I've treated their mother, then that's an issue. That becomes a problem. I don't want my kids not to know the love of God. I don't want my kids not to understand and experience who he is and what kind of love and concern they can have for, from him because of the way I act or don't act. That would be a tragedy in their life to go through life and never know the love of their creator. We don't want that to happen. But there's another reason. If we go back up to verse 3, he says this. This is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one that you sent to earth. 
We need to remember that. Spiritual birth always precedes spiritual growth. So as dads, our number one responsibility is to make sure they have the opportunity to have that spiritual birth. We have to introduce them to God, our Father. It's our responsibility. You know, when our girls were little, they did grow up in a Christian home. They loved Jesus and they loved God when they were toddlers. And they taught us many lessons along the way. But you know what? That in and of itself was not enough that they loved Jesus. There has to come a point where they say in their life that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. It's not mommy and daddy's religion anymore. It's my faith. It's my belief in Christ that makes the difference. But it's part of our job as parents, especially dads, to make sure they're introduced to God. Each time one of those little girls would come to us and they would say, you know what, Dad? And they'd ask amazing questions, right? I'm ready to accept Jesus as my Savior. The very first thing Kathy and I would do is have a big sigh of relief, go, oh, thank you, Lord. Because now they're primarily more your responsibility than our responsibility when it comes to that, right? It's no longer daddy or mommy's faith. It becomes their faith. Listen, it's never too late to be the type of spiritual leader you need to be in your home, in your workplace. And as men, that is our number one priority and goal, especially with our families. You may have grandkids. Start there and work backwards, all right? Think about that. The second thing is Jesus taught them God's word. Jesus taught them God's word. God's word is our foundation to live by. We need to remember that Jesus said in John 8, 32, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. The truth is what we want our kids to have, right? Listen, I want my kids to be free. I don't want them to be bound up by guilt and pressures of this world or by somebody else's guilt and pressures. I want them to live a life of free. Can, I, can you turn this light down a little bit? That thing is blinding me. When you build your life on God's truth, it's apparent in your lifestyle and the way you work and the way you deal with others. Because God's truth will set you free. It'll give you the strength, the courage, and confidence you need to move forward. I don't want my kids messed up by the resentment and pressures of this life. I want them to build their life and their foundation on God's word. We should all want that for our children. Thank you. Now I can see. I don't feel like I'm in a flashbulb. <clears throat> when you build your life on the truth and God's word, you live a life of genuine freedom. And they can too. Listen, in genuine freedom, there's joy, there's happiness, there's contentment, there's purpose, and there's a reason that we continue doing what we need to do. Your children will build their life on something. Your grandchildren are going to build their life on something. It's going to either be the word or it's going to be the world. Which one is a more solid foundation? We know the answer to that. We know the world is fading away. It's diminishing every day. And if it's not physically diminishing every day, every other portion of it is, because we see it and hear it. 
Which one of those is a more solid foundation? Listen, you can spare your kids and your grandkids a ton of headaches, heartaches, and heartbreaks if we will make sure they build their foundation on God's word. If they make sure that God's word is the sole authority of power in their world. But we have to instill it in them. Parents, God expects us to be the teachers, the primary teachers of God's word in their life. We can't, we can't just leave it to the church. While we want to do that and while we enjoy doing that, that's not all the church's responsibility. That's a parent's responsibility also. You can't leave their educational things to the schools. That is a real bad thing to do. That means you first have to know it. You first have to know God's word before you can still it in. Sometimes that means some of us may have to do some catching up because we want to make sure they understand it. John 17, 8 says, For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Verse 14 says the same thing in a little different way. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Now listen, if you instill God's word in your kids, they may not be the best friends of some people. But that's okay. Because we're to be in the world, but not of the world. And we have to remember that. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. How do I give God's word to my kids? How do you give God's word to your kids? The very first thing you do is when they're little, you read them Bible stories. When they're getting ready for bed, when you're sitting down in the evening, whatever it might be, read them Bible stories so they can learn about who Jacob is, who Joseph is. Then scripture says that in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know, they recently did a survey several years ago now, and it was amazing because they did it in elementary school. And some of the kids thought that Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. <laughs> Sorry, wrong century. There's a problem there, right? Most kids know more about the Ninja Turtles and SpongeBob SquarePants and all the anime stuff that's going on anymore than they do about... Barnabas and Paul. But you know what? We can change that. We have the opportunity to influence that. I encourage you also to help your kids memorize Bible verses. Help your grandkids memorize Bible verses. If you're long distance, you can do it. We've got all this great technology now, I understand, where you can even see them on a phone or a computer. I'm pretty sure that's out there. My kids tell me. <laughs> Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Listen, here's the number one thing. And I'm not going to belabor it. I'm only going to say it for a minute. Make sure your kids attend church. Not by themselves. If you're a parent, be the example of a parent and be with your kids. Granted, we may have different classes and we have different age groups for each, uh, different Bible studies for each age group. 
But you know what? Be there with your kids. Don't take them and drop them off and go down to McDonald's and have breakfast. If you're watching online, that's for you, some of you folks that do that. We don't mind working with your kids. We don't mind loving your kids. But you shouldn't use the church as a babysitting service. You should be there with them. That's important for them to see that as an example. If mom and dad are doing it, they'll want to do it. Same thing with grandparents. Don't be a detached parent. Don't be one of those parents that says, well, if you want to go ahead and go, you go. I'm going to stay home and do something else. That's dangerous. Occasionally, I'll talk to a parent or a grandparent and says, well, I don't want to force religion on my kids or my grandkids. Listen, I love you as a brother and sister in Christ if that's who you are. But if you're doing that, that's not being a very good parent or grandparent. Because the struggle for their life and death situation in eternity is right there before you. We have to remember that. Let me ask you a question. You have a first grader. Little Alice comes. I'm going to pick on you. I love the new drummer, by the way. Little Alice comes to you. She's in first grade, and she says, Mom, Dad, I've had it with school. I'm not going anymore. I'm pretty sure, John and Brandon, you're going to say, oh, yes, you are. You're going to go, and for the next 11 years, they're going to have a fight, right? But let me ask you the key question. What's really more important, their eternity or going to school? And if you're going to fight that fight with them about going to school, don't you think you should fight that same fight with them about eternity? Sometimes we have to take a stand as parents, especially dads. What's really more important? Also, we need to teach them to study the Bible for themselves. We want them to be self-readers and feeders. Listen, you wouldn't no more tell Brandy, or, or little Alice, Brandy and John, you wouldn't tell the, her to go on and say, okay, well, you can open the refrigerator door now, sweetie. You just eat whatever you want. We're not going to cook any meals for you anymore. We're just going to let you eat and feed on whatever you want. She would probably not eat the most healthy stuff, right? But here's the problem. How many parents do that with their kids when it comes to their spiritual life? We have to be very, very careful. We want them to be self-feeders of God's word. So we have to sit down and read with them. And they have to see us reading it so that they're, we're demonstrating it. We don't want them to feed on worldly junk food. We want them to feed on the word of God. The third thing Jesus did is he prayed for them. Jesus prayed for them. 17.9 says, I pray for them and I'm not praying for the world. Now he prays for the world in other places, but not right here. He said, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. It's the same way with our children. You need to pray with your kids, and you need to pray for your kids. And the same thing with your grandkids. If you profess to be a Christian, you need to do that. You pray for God's purposes in your children's life, your grandchildren's life. Jesus prayed for all five purposes of the church, and of ourselves with his disciples and apostles. 
John 17, 13 says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Listen, I want my kids and my grandkids to be filled with life, love, and joy. And I'm sure you do too. But the only way to really genuinely give them that is to make sure they understand and know who God is in their life. When you learn to live for Christ, you'll have that peace and joy that passes all understanding. But until you genuinely know God and understand who he is in your life, we may not have that. We struggle with that. He prayed that they'd grow strong spiritually. He prayed that they'd worship. And that's what being filled with God's love and joy is. When we sing the songs that we sang, that the musicians and the singers helped lead us in, that prepares our hearts for worshiping God. And we're worshiping God through those songs and through the ministry of music and song. How do we grow? We sung it in a song. We grow through tests. We grow through trials. We grow through tribulations. We go through troubles. Sometimes we even grow through temptation. And that comes from who? Not God. That comes from the other guy. And we don't particularly like it. But even sometimes we grow through temptation. Why? Because those situations cause us to be able to make a decision to do the right thing. But we have to do the right thing. We grow through problems and pressures. We grow through all those things, the persecution and stressors and situations in life that we don't like to go through. But we still grow through those things. God says, I don't want to make their life easy for them. And that's what he prays. God's far more interested in your character than he is your creature comfort. And sometimes we tend to forget that. Verse 15 says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. He prayed that they would serve Christ effectively in verse 17. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth, the New Living Translation says. We should also be praying for their future ministries as children. We said a moment ago we don't own our kids. We need to remember that. This life is a preparation for the next. It's preparation for eternity. This is on-the-job training. We've said that before. One of the things we're going to do in heaven and eternity is serve God. And it becomes very, very important that we understand that. So what does he want us to do here? He wants us to practice. Sometimes we don't like practicing. It's very important we understand that. So pray that you'll help them discover their ministry while they're here. Pray that they'll experience personal fellowship in their life so we know who they are and they learn to love one another. There's all kinds of loving one another's in Scripture, but sometimes we pass over those. You know, it's very easy to love people that are like ourselves, but it's very difficult to love the unlovely, right? We need to remember that we all need to learn to love and live in harmony and unity and even love those that are not the same as us. Something else, that's, that's the key to a happy marriage, by the way, is learning to love those who are not like us. <laughs> Think about that one for a second. John 17, 21 says that all of them may be one, 
Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's an old saying that the world will be one, W-O-N, when God's people are one, O-N-E. We need to remember that. He prayed that they would also bring others to Christ. That's part of the process. That's one of the five purposes is that we share Christ with others. Each generation has to pass Christ on to the next generation. That's our, that's our God-given right, but our God-given responsibility as dads, particularly. Verse 20 says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. God expects us to reproduce. Each generation must pass on this message to the next generation. Number four, Jesus built his character into them. His character is built into them. John 17, 22 says, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. What is God's glory? It's his character. It's his qualities of life. It's his nature. His glory is his very being. He says, I'm putting my quality and characteristics into them. 17.10, going back up there, says, all I have is yours and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. In the message translation, it says, my life is on display in them. He demonstrated his life so well that when he reflected his life on them, they reflected it back to the rest of the world. I believe that's what we're supposed to do as Christians, is reflect his life back to the rest of the world. But it's an ongoing process. It never ends. It never stops no matter what age we become. The goal of our life and our children's life is to make sure that they're able to grow in the character and qualities that Jesus had. And we're to show and demonstrate those characters and qualities to the rest of the world. That means we take on the qualities. Dads, listen very, very carefully. Moms, you do too. But dads, this is for Father's Day. We're to take on the qualities of integrity and generosity and humility. We're to make sure that we keep our word and we demonstrate to those children how to be servants of God. We're to make sure that we do everything we do with confidence and persistence and endurance. And some of us, I know, get tired. Some of us get weary, but we need to keep on keeping on, as the old saying goes. All the qualities we find in Jesus' life are the same qualities we need to be reflecting to our children so that they'll be able to reflect them to the rest of the world. We have to realize, though, that all these qualities and all these characteristics that we're talking about, some of them are caught and some of them are taught. Now think about this for a second. Jesus walked with the, with the apostles everywhere they went. They didn't get in their Honda Accord and drive down the street. You're not awake. They walked. Jesus spent time with them. He just hung out with them. But you know what? There was a lot of things that they didn't really catch. So he had to sit them down and explain it to them. There was times when he had to sit down and say, guys, I need to talk to you about this. Who's first and who's most important? And he would say things like this. If you want to be 
a great leader, you have to learn to be a great servant. <laughs> Both ways. Both ways took something, and it's very simple. It's called T-I-M-E, time. Most kids I know, they, they don't understand the concept, and they could care less about quality time. What they want is quantity time. When our girls were growing up, if we had quantity time with them, it would eventually turn into quality time. Even Jesus had to sit down and tell the apostles some things. They couldn't always catch what he was trying to show them. What it means to be persistent. What it means to be disciplined. What it means to live a life for Christ. We need to explain to our children what quality is, what it means to us, and then how to do it. And sometimes that takes time. You know, almost every major conversation we have with our girls, and it's funny because when your kids want to, kids are like clams. They open up very slowly. And then they'll close real quick. But one of the interesting things I found out with our girls is they would always want to talk at the most inconvenient times for us. It would either be right when they were going to bed and we needed to go to sleep or they needed to go to sleep, or it would be at mealtime. And mealtimes are always a good time, right? Except in the morning when everybody's trying to get out of the house. But that's when they usually wanted to talk. But those conversations were key and instrumental in getting those young ladies to understand what life was all about. And they would ask some of the most amazing questions. You know, building character into those girls' life was probably one of the most painful things that Kathy and I did. Because how do we, how do we learn those characteristics? Through trials, troubles, tribulations, difficulties, and pain. And allowing those girls to go through some of that pain was heart-wrenching. It hurt because you, you would have to sit back and watch it. And you'd want to be there as a safety net to, to, to correct and, and to keep them on course and track. But you didn't want to intervene all the time because you knew they needed to go through it. The Bible compares character development to birthing a baby. Now, ladies, you understand this verse better than men. Galatians 4.19, Paul said, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Listen, the childbirth analogy gives us three particular things that we can glean from that. First, the birth is the responsibility of the mother and the child. Now, some of your moms are going, well, I don't know about the kid. But you know what? We each have a part to play. Think about this for a second. No mother who's going to birth a child is going to say, oh, it's okay, honey, you can stay in there as long as you want. If they're nine months pregnant, they're going to say, you're coming out of there. We're done with this. Right, ladies? Here's the thing. It's the same with spiritual growth for our kids. They come to know Christ by being birthed. 
it becomes partly the responsibility of the child once they're birthed to learn how to grow. But they have to be birthed first. You know, the second part of that birth is it requires pushing. Moms, right? Sometimes you have to push and poke and prod your kids along. We love them, but we want them to grow. We don't want them to stay small their entire lives. That baby inside says, you know what? I like it in here. It's nice. It's comfy. All my needs are met. Why would I want to go out into the world where I'm going to get slapped on the bottom and have to see all these lights and then deal with all these troubles? Or they say, no, I don't want to go. I'll just stay right here. Why? Because part of the birthing process is work. They don't call it labor for nothing, right, ladies? But that labor to raise our kids is really work. It's about spiritual development and spiritual character building. It's about working in their lives, but it's also working in our lives to build us up as we learn to teach them what they need to learn. It's not an easy task. It's work. And unfortunately, I think that's why some dads pull back from it. It's overwhelming for us as men sometimes. And ladies, in a lot of ways, I think you're tougher than we are. But dads, we can do it if we'll step up. Spiritual growth takes time. It's not a one-shot deal. It's an ongoing process. Number five, Jesus guarded their spiritual growth. Jesus guarded those apostles and disciples' spiritual growth. The mark of a true spiritual leader is protection. John 17, 12 says, While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Listen, Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. That was part of God's plan, and Jesus understood that. So that one, he, he had to relinquish. How do you protect your kids from? What do you protect your kids from? Three things, I think, primarily. When they're little and when they're young, you protect their bodies. You protect their physical health and safety. Dads, I want you to hear me. That's why they give us moms, because we're not always the quickest about that, right? We think, oh, you want to help with that project? Sure, grab that saw and let's go. But moms are going, uh, wait just a second. Maybe we need a little safety gear here. Or maybe you shouldn't give them the saw in the first place, Dad. Number two is we protect their minds. Listen, our job as a father, as a spiritual leader, is to protect their innocence of their minds. Here's the problem. Those little children's minds, they can't handle all the sex, violence, and, and vulgarity that's out there in the world already. They don't need that. Children are not many adults. And I know a lot of younger parents that treat their kids as many adults. Their, their minds are not developed enough for that. We need to be very careful of that. All this, they always want to see things they shouldn't want to see. We did it too, so don't, you know. But parents, grandparents, I want you to hear me. You still have the leverage. 
It's still your home. You're still making the house payments. Maybe your mortgage is paid off, but you're still paying all the bills. You're still keeping the gas and lights and electric on. Your responsibility, you still have control in your home. You have control of what they're able to see and what they're not able to see. Be the parent. They're going to have enough of that garbage and that trash and vulgarity and stuff as they get older anyway. But while you have control, take control. They don't need that stuff at a young age. Protect that, what goes into their minds while you can. Ladies, I'm going to say something. And I'm not blaming you as women, but you need to pay attention to how you and your daughters dress. And I'm saying this because a lot of men struggle with this issue. And men, I'm not putting you on the chopping block, but skimpily dressed women, it's like the difference between a gaze and a glance. And I've told us this before. The gaze is when a woman walks by, she's a very attractive woman and she doesn't have a lot of clothes on, we're going to gaze at it. We can't help it. That's the way we're hardwired. But if you gaze at it and, or, I'm sorry, glance at it. But if you gaze at it and you start staring at it, your mind's going to go somewhere else. That becomes a problem. And ladies, if you can't talk to your husband about it, if you're single or you want, it, it just, you struggle with believing it, call me. I'll tell you. All right? Because I talk to some of these guys that struggle with this. And I'm not talking about guys here, but I'm talking about guys in general. It's a real issue for some men. So be aware of how you dress and how your daughters dress. It just causes problems. Why subject them to that to start with? Thirdly, we protect their spirits. We protect their spirits. Listen, dads, we need to remember their dignity, their self-esteem, and their self-worth is very, very important, especially the girls. The old analogy, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. That's a lie straight from Satan. Here's the problem. Names do hurt. A little kid can break their arm or leg, and that may heal and be just fine. But you know what? A mom or a dad can say some really hurtful and mean things, like you're stupid, you're ugly, you'll never amount to anything, and that will last a lifetime. Some of you are sitting here today and you're still struggling with some of that. You're under that verbal curse. And we need to relinquish that. As a little child, what our parents said to us and what we say to our children, we accept as true. We accept as the truth. But the problem is you were told lies. We were all told some lies. And we need to remember that and know that in our mind and not tell those same kind of lies to our kids. They are God's child, and they will turn out the way God wants them to be if you nurture them and are good stewards of them. As fathers, we must understand the power of our words to hurt our kids. A dad especially can crush his daughter's spirits by a misspoken word or an unspoken word or a word spoken out of content or context. Listen, we have the power to either build our daughters up or tear them down very easily. And the other thing is we also have the problem with our sons. We can do the exact same things with our sons. 
Do you realize, ladies, that most men sitting here, they need affirmation from their father for their manhood? There's only one person that can give that, that affirmation, and that is their physical father. Their heavenly father can give them affirmation, yes, but they need to hear it from that earthly father to make sure it drives the point home. Son, you're okay. Son, you're a man. Son, you can do it. They need that verbal affirmation from their dad. It has to be their dad. First Peter 5.23 in the Amplified Version says, and I, I realize he's writing to pastors, but I believe this crosses over again and, and can apply in this context. Nurture, guard, and guide the flock of God. Listen, who's our little flock? Our kids, right? They're our little flock. We're to watch over them and protect them as dads. This is your responsibility, not domineering as arrogant or dictatorial or overbearing persons, but being examples and patterns and models of Christian living. That's our responsibility as a father. Listen, ladies, if you're a single woman and you're thinking about getting married, I want to encourage you to find that same kind of man. Find that same kind of man. It's not domineering, not dominant, arrogant, dictatorial or overbearing, that is a godly model and pattern of a Christian. Number six, Jesus released them to serve God. Listen, we, I said a moment ago, our kids are not our own. We don't own them. John 17, 18 says, as you sent me in the world, I have sent them into the world. The message translation says, in the same way you have gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. Look, the whole goal of parenting is to raise our kids, raise them up, and move them out. Right? We want to be able to eventually release our children into the world to do what God has created them to do. It's not our job and responsibility to continue holding on to them, clinging to them, and, and controlling them. I know some young people, People that their parents are still trying to control them when they're in their early 20s or late 30s. It's not our job to hold on to them and micromanage them. It's our job to raise them up, build them up, lift them up, and move them out for God's purposes in the world. We're not to keep them from doing God's will. That's a dangerous thing for us and them. Some people, some parents can be so overprotective emotionally they won't let them go, and some are so overprotective they won't let them go emotionally or physically. You have to be very, very careful. Here's the question. Are you willing to let God be God in your kids' lives or your grandkids' lives? God is designing them to serve a certain purpose in the world. We need to allow them to do that. Scripture says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Genesis 2.24. Listen, the, God's plan is for them to leave and cleave to someone else. That's how we generate new families, right? But we need to be in the process 
of encouraging them, strengthening them, and giving them the godly foundation that they need to work from. Let them go and serve God's purposes. The seventh thing and the last thing is Jesus modeled commitment. Jesus modeled commitment. Verse 19 says, For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus said, I set myself apart, and I demonstrated to them, I showed them, I, I not only showed them, but they caught all these things along the way of how to be a godly father, how to be a godly spiritual leader. He said, for their sake, I dedicated myself and I set myself apart so that they would learn how to dedicate and set themselves apart. It's the same with our kids and our grandkids. Here's the question. What do your kids see that you're dedicated to? What do your grandkids see that you're committed to? I suggest you commit yourself today to knowing God, to loving God, to making sure that you worship God with them seeing it. That you take the time to learn to love other people. That you fellowship with others. You take on Christ-like attributes and characteristics. That you're willing to serve others unselfishly and that you share what you know about God with others. That's what our responsibilities are as dads. Because if we show them those responsibilities, then they'll do the same thing. They'll take on those attributes. Going back up to verse 11, it says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. That's the prayer we need to pray for our kids and our grandkids. We need to realize that parenting is only for a season. You need to make the most of it while you can. Grandparenting is only for a season. You may have adult children right now, and you may say, well, it's too late for me. No, it's not. Take your influence and use it with your grandkids as much as possible. And then... Start working back up to your kids. Let them know that you love them and let them know why your Christian faith is important to you. It's never too late. Whatever you do, if you become the godly spiritual leader in your home and you the, become the godly model, God will honor it. Let's pray. You know what? If you're a dad today, just quietly say this prayer with me. You don't have to say it out loud, but say it in your mind. Lord, I want to be the spiritual father, the spiritual dad, the spiritual leader in my family that I need to be. I know I may have some catching up to do. <laughs> I know that I may have missed the mark in some areas in the past but I believe that now you can give me the wisdom, the power, and the understanding to learn 
to, to learn what I need to learn. So I dedicate myself back to you this morning. I want to be the type of father, the type of grandfather, spiritual father that I need to be for my family. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen me and encourage me and help me do that to the best of my ability. Now, for the rest of us this morning, I just want you to, to, to listen to this prayer and, and think about this prayer that some of these men may have said. And ladies, you, you, you can pray a similar prayer. You know, we want you to be spiritual leaders in the home too. It's all of our responsibilities to lead our children and our grandchildren down the right path as Christians. So pray this along with me this morning. Help us be responsible and remember the responsibilities to, to support the moms and dads that are trying to bring their children up and give them a godly foundation in an ungodly world today. Help us remember that they need support and encouragement and that no matter what stage of life we're in today, that you are there to help us through this, Lord. Father, I pray that you would strengthen these individuals as they leave here, encourage them, empower them to do what they need to do in their lives and the lives of others as they draw closer to you each and every day. And as we listen and become obedient to you, that you would make us those spiritual leaders in the world that we need to be. Now, Father, there's anyone here today that does not know you as Savior, perhaps something we said here today, sung here today, has touched a heart or a mind, and they've drawn closer to you, and they'd like to make that decision public. We offer them an opportunity this morning. And maybe they've made that decision, and they've made it public, but they've never been baptized like you were baptized through complete immersion. We offer them that opportunity today to come forward and say, you know what, I've made a decision to follow Jesus, but I've never been baptized. And maybe they've done those things, Lord, but they've never joined a church family. Never, they've, they've never become part of a body of believers. Or maybe they've been out of fellowship with a body of believers for a while. Father, we offer them that opportunity this morning also. Father, whatever decisions are made in people's minds and hearts, we pray that whatever we do today, that each one of us are drawn closer to you and we would follow your leadership and live the life that you've given us to live. And we simply ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can and would, stand please.
Second, before we do, Bill Gates would like to come and thank you for your prayers and make a brief announcement. I do thank the church for the prayers, and I also thank the men's prayer group we have on Monday night. This is a public announcement. For you men or fathers out there, don't, don't have anything to do on a Monday night, night please, please come, come join us. It's, it's a good time of fellowship, and we are prayer warriors. It's not a playground, it's a battlefield. And we need all the men come together as a group. We pray for each other. I know they're praying for me the last couple of days. I thank everyone. But please, men, if you don't have anything else to do, come join us at 6 o'clock on Monday night. Thank you. Thank you, Bill, and it's good to have you back with us. Glad you're moving around well. All right. Let's uh, sing our closing song. Remember, our theme is going to heaven, right? Let's sing soon and very soon. We're going to see the king.